Welcome to the Cloud Pod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, GCP, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, Ryan, and Peter. Episode 161, recorded on April 13th, 2022. The Cloud Pod observes its databases with Google Cloud SQL Insights. Good evening, Peter. How's it going? Just Peter. How's it going? Just Peter. I know. I had to look around. I was like, wait, wait, no, no Jonathan, no Ryan. Just Peter. <laughs> it's old school. Just Peter. That's okay. Yeah, but we will it's all right. make it short and sweet. Yeah. I mean, uh, Ryan's still stuck in Ohio and Jonathan's dealing with the incident. And this is what happens when you work in ops and you have to do a podcast on a weekly schedule. <laughs> so we'll just work, make it work. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, if you're in ops and you happen to be working out at Legion, uh, you had a really, really bad couple of weeks now. Uh, apparently, on April 4th, Alasia made a DevOps, as I like to call them, uh, when they accidentally deleted the systems for apparently 400 of their customers. Uh, oh. And uh, as of Wednesday, this was now 10 days into recovery, and they told customers on Monday that they needed two additional weeks to fully recover all of the customers uh, at Allegion. The Allegion VP of Engineering published a, a full blog post kind of detailing what happened, what went wrong, and what they're doing to solve the issue going forward. Uh, and, you know, one thing I noticed out of this is that clearly they're using a very multi-tenant database architecture, uh, which allows doesn't allow them to just recover single customers or, or do things. So they're actually having to recover uh, their multi-tenant database and extract data and move data into the old, you know, into the new production environment. Like, it sounds like a mess. Uh, and I don't don't envy anybody at Alasian Ops right now who's having to try to fix this problem. But uh, a really bad situation if you're one of the 400 or so customers of their 224,000 who are impacted uh, which is less than 0.25% of the whole customer base. So you are you could buy a lottery ticket if you've been down for this long uh, at this point. That's what makes me happy. I'm not an ops in a SaaS company. Man, what pressure. That's brutal. Yep. Yeah, definitely one of those areas where, uh, you know, <laughs> I think there's an adage that says, uh, I think it's a Borat DevOps has it, uh, you know, to err is to human, to automate it is, co- you know, and delete everything is DevOps. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you know, you gotta be careful with these things and make sure that you have good uh, good processes. But uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. Well, hopefully they get that fixed and, and no one has any data loss. Sounds like they haven't had any data loss yet. Um, it's just it's just a hassle for them to recover the data, which is what's taking the most time. Well, uh, I think I have maybe officially one of the most obvious killed by Google cloud stories I've seen yet, and this is that. Uh, SunGuard AS, or Availability Services, uh, has filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and this is the second time in three years that they're filing bankruptcy. Uh, apparently, they have $424 million in debt that they cannot service. They need to declare that bankruptcy on. Three years ago, that number was uh, like significantly more than that, $1.2 billion, I think, or something. They wrote off $800 million in debt three years ago. Uh, SunGuard is, of course, blaming the COVID-19, uh, despite the fact that AWS, GCP, and Azure are all having record-crushing times during the pandemics. Uh, and there's a quote here from Michael K. Robinson, Chief Executive Officer and resident of SunGuard Availability Services. Uh, like many companies, our business has been affected by challenges in our capital structure driven by the global COVID-19 pandemic and other macroeconomic trends, including delayed customer spending decisions, insourcing and reductions in IT spending, energy inflation, and reduction in demand for certain services. Over the past three years, we've made significant network, product, and infrastructure investments, which are being well-received by customers and gaining significant traction. And we, we believe that Chapter 11 process is a right and critical step forward in the future of our business and our stakeholders, which are several private equity companies that own this particular part of SunGuard. 
Yeah, I mean, when the opportunity, when the alternative is chapter seven, yeah, sure. Chapter 11 is the right way forward. <laughs> it is, it is incredible though, that in this market, I mean, I don't know, I guess I, I don't know many customers who are looking to SunGuard type solutions any longer, but man, they were always so expensive and uh, seemed like they were so high margin. Oh yeah. How do they not find a way to... Yeah service their debt. It's crazy. I mean, part of their business model is building empty buildings and then t- and then leasing the space for empty buildings to companies for BCP purposes. And like, yeah, in the event that, you know, your San Francisco burns down in a fire, we'll have an office building in the middle of, you know, Kentucky that you can move all your staff to and, and have them work out of, which, you know, I, I think as we've gotten more mobile and now a pandemic proven that you can work from anywhere, I think companies have realized maybe that's a silly strategy to have all your workers come to a, a remote location away from your primary office to work. So that, that business model has probably been suffering for a while is my guess. Yeah. And then, you know, yeah, their data center services were always really overpriced. That people bought them because there was no, there was really no alternative. I guess today there's a lot of alternatives. The, the whole pilot light concept in general, leveraging the cloud for pilot light uh, DR is just so much more cost effective. Yep. So yeah, this is one of the first bankruptcies I could directly equip directly to the cloud, though. It's killing their business. And it, it just, you know, COVID definitely probably was a factor, but I think it's really the cloud. I think they would have been here regardless of COVID, is my guess. Yeah. All right, moving to AWS. Uh, we're announcing that Lambda Functions uh, are a pretty amazing product, uh, but getting access to them with an event has always been sometimes complicated from my experience. Uh, originally, you had to do it through an API gateway, uh, and then I believe maybe about a year, year and a half ago, they added the ability to put them behind an application load balancer. Um, and, you know, and, and that's much easier than an API gateway, but still a bit overkill if you just want to do a very simple testing. And so Amazon has finally released a built-in HTTPS endpoint for single-function microservices built on top of Lambda. Uh, you can optionally configure cores for these as well, so you can actually embed them into a website if you'd like to. And this allows you to focus on what matters while they take care of configuring and monitoring your Lambda functions for you. And the function URL pricing is still uh, just focused on request and duration pricing. And AWS says these are best used for the cases where you must implement a single function microservice with a public endpoint that doesn't require the advanced functionality of the API gateway, such as request validation, throttling, customer authorizers, and custom domain names, usage plans, or caching capabilities. So, yeah, that's really great for just like a quick little, I need a quick little ability to do a post to something that's going to do an action, or even I want to record an event through a post. Like, this is a really great way to do it. Yeah, you know, when Lambda first came out, I before I even used it, this is how I thought it would work. This, this was my guess on how it was going to work, and then it didn't. Uh, so it's cool that it, it it's now available. I'm surprised it wasn't sort of the, the default, the starting point before getting more complex, like API gateways and stuff. Well, I mean, I imagine, again, because building blocks, you know, Amazon looked at it and said, well, we don't, you know, adding a load balancer is more complicated and, you know, we put it behind this API gateway, we can do filtering, we can do security, we can do all these other things and make them beneficial. But yeah, just over time, it's like, okay, now we just bundle these things together. And I'm sure there's an ALB behind the scenes or just taking care of the magic for you so you don't have to do it yourself. Yeah. Yep. Well, Security Hub this week has gotten several updates. First, they're now partnering with Data Theorem, uh, which will now allow you to send your findings directly to the Security Hub uh, from Data Theorem, as well as five new controls that they'll check for. And those controls are as riveting as ECR repositories without a lifecycle policy, which means you're just wasting money. Uh, classic load balancers that don't span multiple AZs, which is a bad plan. Don't do that. But also just moved to an ALB already. 
S3 buckets that don't have event notifications enabled, which that one's a little interesting. I don't know that I want event notifications for every S3 bucket that exists. Uh, and S3 ACLs are, are being used to manage user access to buckets, which is just a bad practice. Uh, so those are the five new controls. Uh, I, you know, some of them are nice. Uh, oh, there are, uh, one more is that CloudFront distributions that don't encrypt traffic to the origin servers will also now be flagged in Security Hub, which um, is also a good one. Uh, so yeah, those are a little weak, but uh, you know, again, best practices are getting turned into code and, and being monitored, so you understand your situation much better. Yeah, it's, it's the load balancers, single AZ load balancers, is kind of an interesting one to integrate into Security Hub. Yeah, it seems like that opens the door to start using Security Hub for all sorts of non-security checks. Well, I think that's what they want it to be. They want it to be your. I mean, potentially, but I think they also want data theorems very security focused as well. But um, I think they're, you know, they've always had the ability to integrate things into Security Hub from, you know, your antivirus software, CrowdStrike, uh, other solutions. So they're really trying to make it be that single pane of glass for your SOC team, potentially. Um, and so they do need to be have the ability to bring things in. But, you know, they do have a standardized format. I think they require them to come into Security Hub. So it's not just like you can just throw anything in there. It has to be, you know, meet a certain schema, et cetera. Yes. We'll see what happens. See where where they take it next. Yeah, that'll be interesting. All right. Amazon ECS now allows you to run commands in a Windows container running on AWS Fargate. So if you've ever wanted that dream, it's here for you today. To allow you to access that running container, making it easier to debug, diagnose errors, collect one-off dumps and statistics, and interact with processes in the container, which is all an anti-pattern of containers. But you know, if you want to do it, you now can on top of Windows. Yeah, I don't want to do that at all. But I'm sure somebody does. <laughs> I don't either. But <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Uh, next up is a new feature for Amazon RDS. Uh, Amazon RDS for SQL Server now supports SQL Server agent job replication. Uh, and with this new feature, SQL Server agent jobs created, modified, or deleted on your primary instance will now be automatically synchronized to the second instance in a multi-AZ configuration. Uh, this allows you to have enhanced availability and data durability by automatically replicating those capabilities. Uh, this is something I thought would have been there. Yeah. I just didn't know it didn't exist because I hadn't tried. <laughs> but uh, I guess it's glad I have it now. If I ever do need it in the future, I just always assume that these things are replicated uh, all the way through. I mean, and this this is a great example of why you need to test your failover and test your DR strategies uh, because some of these things you just assume have to be. I can't imagine Uh how many people have gotten stung by this? I guess not a lot of people are doing server agent jobs. I don't know. That's a huge, huge gap that I'm sure everyone thinks was was not there. Yeah. Or people who knew about it were like, oh yeah, you guys are just you guys never experienced this, but it's yeah. been a problem for you. So. Yeah. So good on them. Hopefully. I wonder they should have a list of the things that aren't replicated somewhere. <laughs> yeah right can you tell me what else isn't replicated that I don't know about before it burns me next week in an outage yeah I really appreciate that um, alright well you remember a few weeks ago Google raised prices and we were talking about how that was just a really terrible thing and they mostly raised prices on inter-AZ data right. transfers and so this week Amazon is reducing prices <laughs> on inter-AZ data transfers within the same AWS region for AWS private link AWS Transit Gateway and AWS Client VPN, which will now all Ooh. be free of charge. Previously, you would, yeah, previously you would incur an inter-AZ data transfer for sending data across the AZ while using these networking services. And this pricing change, data transfers are free of charge, making it even more cost-effective for customers who run multi-AZ workloads. 
and customers take advantage of this benefit without doing anything. You just got a lower cost bill. Uh, so I, let's keep going. This free enter AZ uh, transfer fees, uh, AWS, but uh, good first step. I'll take these, especially Transit Gateway, which can be very expensive for many, many people. Yeah, and like anytime you have a chatty uh, multi-AZ cluster technology that the data transfer was started to add up with, you know, Elasticash or um, the Elasticsearch clusters, that would actually become non-trivial. Uh, and so that's great. That's free now. It's also tough to figure out how much it's going to cost. <laughs> With that replication, it is hard. To, it yeah. is hard to calculate. Yeah. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008. They are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance. Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. Uh, well, if you've been anxiously waiting for the M6A and the C6A to be available in bare metal, AMD has released those this week, both powered by the AMD Epic processors up to 3.6 gigahertz in processor speed. Uh, so that's great. If you're looking for bare metal, uh, new options on the bare metal side. I wasn't looking for bare metal options. But if you if you need it, it, you have it now. <laughs> uh, I, I, now that I understand the SQL licensing much, much better on the cloud, uh, the, the realities of bare metal become so much more important when you're talking about Oracle or SQL Server or these things that are licensed on a per per CPU, per core basis. Uh, and to be able to license a full box and then carve it up any way you want to is super valuable. Right, right. Which is frustrating that it's decisions like how we're going to account for licenses that make you engineer your uh, your infrastructure based on that license optimization. That drives me nuts. Agreed. I did see some headlines this week, and I'll, I'll pull them for next week's show because they were after the deadline. But there was some talk about antitrust and some of these licensing things that Microsoft was doing, which would be yeah. a big deal. Let's see how that translates over time. That kind of makes sense. I mean, change, yeah, giving different license terms for different competitors. That that I mean, I get why, but definitely would piss me off as a customer. Yeah, exactly. Well, and the final story is a security issue at AWS. Whoa, always bad. Uh, Lightspin, uh, which is a security research analyst, published a blog post with a recent defect they found that impacts RDS and would lead an attacker to AWS internal service credentials. Uh, the blog post is very detailed and has a great breakdown, step-by-step of how they exploited this, the vector they took, uh, and overall how they were able to compromise RDS. NetNet, uh, apparently they're using the log underscore FDW extension in Postgres to allow someone to exploit a local file and get to credentials. And they're able to eventually identify a csd-grover-credentials.json file that contain the public and private keys used by AWS to authenticate. Uh, so again, you know, anytime you start giving people access to file systems of your server, uh, you do run some risks that are definitely unfortunate. And so Amazon has, of course, patched this. Uh, patch it right away per the blog post from them as well as from Amazon services. 
Uh, and so this is no longer exploitable, but definitely was a risky thing that had to be disclosed. Yep. Another example of you're happy when you're doing security uh, in layers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 1000%. Well, moving to GCP, uh, Cloud SQL Insights has now been released for MySQL. Previously, it was released for Postgres. And if you have Postgres, you were getting the awesomeness of their AI based uh, Cloud SQL Insights capability. Uh, but now that's available to you also mm-hmm. in MySQL giving you insights onto performance, intuitive visualizations, and modern architecture such as microservices and how they interact with your MySQL database. Have you used Cloud SQL Insights at all? I haven't either. No, not at all. But I, I will. I plan to. It does sound, I mean, it's it, it's almost required. Like these tools are so important when it's a managed service and you can't get under the covers yourself. So it's cool. Yeah, for sure. And especially when you get into like how these things work with your cloud and how they interact with each other. Um, it comes even more important. Yeah. All right. Google has a new undersea cable called Topaz, which when completed in 2023, will connect to Vancouver, Port Alberni, Canada, all the way to me and Ibaraki, Japan. Uh, with service starting in 2023, it's with several partners, uh, but will be the first direct connection from Canada to Asia. Man, that sounds like a long way. <laughs> yep. It does sound like a very long way. Uh, they didn't actually mention how many miles or kilometers that was, which I was surprised. But it's it's definitely a long, long haul for sure. Yeah, I'm so glad I don't have to think about these. 240 terabits per second. Oh, awesome. Over a six over 16 fiber pairs. That's that's a lot of throughput. It's like man, if you're get, you, you got to imagine that the cost of uh, dropping that cable is so large. You just want to get as many of those fiber pairs as you can. I'm surprised it's not more, but I guess the fiber's not cheap either. No, I don't imagine it is. Uh, you know, but no matter what that costs you, uh, it gets you access to apparently an additional $303 billion uh, in potential revenue opportunities for them in Japan through these investments. So it's worth them making the investment. It's just a question of, uh, you know, how much money do you invest and how much money do you return and what's the yeah. ROI? Go big or go home. 1,000%. Uh, so I'm sorry, Peter, uh, but uh, close your ears on this one. Google and SADA, <laughs> a major technology consulting firm, announced an expanded partnership aimed at broadening enterprise adoption of Google Cloud, and it entails a new $2.5 billion deal uh, for the joint commitment between SADA and Google Cloud services with five times the similar goal they set in 2020. As part of this, SADA will roll out additional offerings and services that build upon Google Cloud, and drive more customers to the Google Cloud ecosystem. So that's a, that's a big investment and big commitment uh, by SADA to bring business to GCP. Yeah, and I mean, I think that this is uh, based significantly on their current run rate because they're resellers. So, and they've, they've done a great job. I mean, it's not easy to do what SADA's done uh, as a building a services company and integrating resales and, and being successful like that with, one of the big cloud providers. So kudos to them. Well, if you want a partner that really cares about you and, and the boutiqueness of your business, I recommend reach out to Foghorn Consulting and talk to Peter. <laughs> Peter will give you better. all of the services you need for significantly less than $2.5 billion. And uh, you'll get a great team of experts working for you. For sure. And you don't have to do resales exactly. if you don't want to. <laughs> and then the last one is MongoDB is announcing that you can now do MongoDB Atlas through the Google console on a pay-as-you-go basis, and the service will enable users to build and scale applications for MongoDB all much simpler. And I do have a quote from Alan Chabra, Executive VP of Worldwide Partners at MongoDB. 
This announcement reinforces MongoDB Atlas as a first-class citizen in the Google console. Similar to other Google native products, customers and Google sellers, engineers and architects should feel very confident with the long-term investments and relationship between Google and MongoDB. <laughs> now announcing Google's new document with DB MongoDB compatibility <laughs> as a service with Mongo compatibility. <laughs> first your en- you know, first your friends, then your enemies. That's how it works out. Just kidding. I know. I know. That is cool, though. I mean, you can get through it through the console, so they're they're doing a good job. I mean, I, I got to imagine this is a great thing for Mongo. Excellent. Yeah, I'm sure it is a great thing for them. I mean, Atlas is really their future, right? Because then yeah. they get away from having to provide the open source software. They don't have to worry about Amazon stealing it. They don't have to worry about anybody else stealing it. And they sell the SaaS service at higher premium margins. It's a, it's a great deal for MongoDB to be in the console. And Google's definitely been more oh. ISV friendly. So Yes, 100%. Hopefully it works out well. Well, that is it for new news this week, other than the lightning round, Peter. Well, I don't think I can give you a point today. I would. I think we'd all feel bad so about either. that. But let's read through yeah. these and see if you can get a chuckle out of me. Um, Azure Data Explorer now supports Azure private endpoints. I bet it was exploring your private endpoints. <laughs> yeah, you could do it one for one. Public preview of Azure Backup supports metrics and metric alerts for Azure blobs. The only thing you care about is the blob isn't getting bigger because then things go downhill pretty quick. You don't want the blob to get bigger. Yeah. How about AWS Shield Advanced now supports application load balancers for automatic application layer DDoS mitigation? <laughs> this is one of those are you know requests for features where some companies like, hey, I'm paying you ten thousand dollars a month. Why didn't you DDoS protect me? And they're like, well, it's because you didn't enable it through the ALB. And they go curses, <laughs> and now they're helping you out. Just help people do it. Help people help themselves. Uh, GA announcement, now generally available. Service tag support for user-defined routing. And I should have added Azure there, so you knew that was Azure. But, uh, Oops. Yeah, I, I can't imagine routing someone's user, you know, routing someone's traffic by service tags is a great model. But we'll see how it works out for you, Azure. <laughs> definitely an uh, interesting spin, huh? It is definitely an interesting spin. Uh, we'll see. Read the, read the fun stories. Maybe, maybe someone will give us a good reason for that. A thousand percent. All right. Well, there are some things coming up still here in the cloud. It never ends. Uh, May 4th, a Google Workspace Summit is coming up. It'll be digital only. And then April 20th through the 21st, which is next week, is the AWS Summit here in beautiful San Francisco. Uh, we'll be interested to see if anything comes out of that announcement. We are not doing predictions for that because Summit's always bust for predictions. Yeah. So we're just going to see what they announce and maybe they'll announce something really cool that we could talk about next week. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but we're excited to see that. Uh, I don't know if we'll have so many there or not, but if we do, we'll have stickers and things available. We'll tweet about that on our CloudPod1 Twitter account. So check that out. Make Alex give him out. Yeah, I can definitely have Alex give him out if he's there. He'll be there. Perfect. Now I have to go meet Alex this weekend and give him stickers. Yes. So <laughs> good to see Alex. All right. Well, that's it for another fantastic week here in the cloud, Peter. We'll see you next week. All right. Take it easy. And that is the week in cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and tweet us your feedback at hashtag the cloud pod or join our Slack channel. Go to our website, thecloudpod.net for sign up instructions. Thank you.